In the studios today, the CEO and owner of Davies Imaging Group, Chad Davies. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. This is cool. It is cool. I, you're like a celebrity and I get to talk with you. Oh, uh, I was <laughs> not now you make me nervous, but I, I was just gonna say, and you are cool. Like you are from uh, California, which part of California? Particular? I, gr- I grew up in Sacramento. I grew up in Northern California. Now I live in Southern California, just south of Los Angeles. And your whole persona is pure California. Like I love that. Thank you. You shoot amazing uh, photography, do amazing work. Your 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 personal brand, your company brand, uh, Davies Imaging Group. You guys affectionately call yourselves Dig. I think for short. It's just it's awesome. So thanks again for taking the time. I don't want to bury the lead. So actually, I'm going to jump into it, but then I'm going to tease it and we'll come back. Okay. One of the main reasons that I told Chad when we were having pancakes at the Builder Show that we had to get him on the podcast is that he's about to roll out a smartphone photography course, teaching people how to use the thing that's in your pocket every day. And what's the old adage that the best camera is the one that you've got with you. So super excited to dig into that. But before we get there, how, you know, I don't think you probably said, I want to be an architectural photographer when I grow up. How did you get here? Okay. I get that question a lot. And it all started back in high school. (laughs) (laughs) You know, our high school wanted us to take an elective art credit and I didn't want to take pottery. So I took photography as a sophomore and fell in love. My parents bought me a little DSLR Rebel XSI that Christmas. And a year later, I was charging for photos. So I started my professional career in air quotes when I was 17. I was shooting some listings for local real estate agents and local interior designers. And some of those designers got pretty good. They were using my photography to grow their business. And you know we kind of grew together. All of a sudden, I was photographing stagings for Lennar and Pulte in the Sacramento region for the home staging company I was working for. And it opened my eyes to this whole industry we call home building. And most people don't know about it. I didn't really understand it. But I, but I understood that these homes were brand new and they were really pretty and they were much easier to shoot than uh, an old lady's house with cats <laughs> crawling over it and smelled like cat litter and, you know, having to retouch the lawn and all this stuff. I'm like, oh, these houses are actually ready for me. This is much easier. So that's how it all started. And I started poking around being myself, trying to figure out how do I get more builder clients? How do I get more builder clients? And eventually joined the North State Building Industry Association got really involved with them, just started doing free pictures at all their events and fast forward a few years, here we are. So hopefully that was brief enough. Yeah, no, that was that, perfect. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of places we can go from there. The first one, just for fun, when you see the Zillow horror stories or listings that have, you know, like dolls in every room or you name it, <laughs> like, have you ever seen one of those where you're like, wow, that person from a, from a photography perspective is, is definitely a professional, or do you just you get distracted like the rest of us and just look at all of the junk in that picture and think like, is a photographer's job in any way, shape or form to communicate with the client and say, Hey, maybe we hide the dolls. I know that's probably a real estate agent's job, but, but have you ever been in that situation as, as a photographer and just saying, Hey, can we, can we adjust a few things here before we snap the picture? It's a loaded question. <laughs> My immediate answer is it depends how much they charge. If they're in and out and they're running gun photographers oh, totally and they're doing yeah. it for a hundred bucks, they don't have time to move stuff for you. If you're charging them a lot of money as a photographer, part of what's expected of you is to be professional in every way and over deliver in every way and move everything out of the way. So 
I would say it depends on what you're charging, you know, and if that's expected it. of you, then yeah, you're going to move those dolls. Well, that's good. Then my, my roundabout question gets us right where I was wanting to go anyway, which is what is the difference in your mind between architectural photography? Mm. And I'm saying this as a photography minor, cause I'm not even sure I fully understand the difference okay. between architectural photography and taking pictures of a home. Is there a difference? Is it just semantics? Is it price? What, what, it, I, what I feel like when I see the term architectural photography, I'm thinking this one, one set of, of a handful of prints might cost five or 10 grand. You're thinking snobby artistic <laughs> photographer is what you're thinking. Um, so I would say most real estate photographers categorize themselves as that because their, their business is predicated on volume. And that means getting into a house and out of a house and turning those photos around as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. Architectural photographers will wait around for four hours for the perfect light and make sure that the photo is immaculate before they hit the shutter button. So that's the easiest distinction is time, how much time they're spending on site. And I think there's this really gray area in the middle, which is high end home building photography, because you know, I've personally photographed thousands and thousands of houses in, in my time being a photographer and I'm, I've become really efficient. And a lot of that time was being a real estate photographer. So when I move into the higher echelons of photography and we get onto these photo shoots that are tens of thousands of dollars, it's still in me to, to want to go as fast as I can, but I have to dial back and slow down and, and let them know that, you know, I'm taking my time, but there, there's always that tendency to want to move quickly. I think that helps us in the long run. We can do more with less time, but yeah, um, time I, I would say is is the main differentiator between a real estate photographer and an architectural photographer. That's the easiest way to distinguish the two. And as a builder listening or, or a developer listening, mm-hmm. how do I know what I'm looking for? Like this might sound self-serving, but of course we don't sell photography services to do convert. So it's, I'm just genuinely trying to connect people appropriately. Like. Yeah. How do I know if I'm if I need run and gun or something more? What what is the? I think most builders just say I want my pictures to be better. Uh-huh. What's the? Is there a decision making process or or a yeah, system they should go through first? Yeah, I, I think there is. I think I think run it. I think the run and gun air quote photography, the fast guys, they have a place in the market. If you're selling one home and it, the market is like it is today, you really don't need to worry about being a hundred percent perfect and accurate and everything prepared 100% because the house is going to sell with a smartphone photo or a real estate photographer photo. Like it doesn't really matter if you're building out a community with two or 300 homes and there's four modeled plans there, you're using that photography to sell 50 or 60 houses, not one home. It's using that photography across marketing efforts for 12 months and using that photography across multiple different channels and different ways. So it's, it's not just going on Zillow you might need to punch into that photography and do a crop. Like you might need to use that photography for something more than a listing photo. And I think that's where you need to really start having those conversations with your team because that photography is being used more than once. It's being used many, many, many times to keep your business running. Yeah. And that that's a consistent challenge is, is helping people understand that we need both quantity and quality. Mm-hmm. And I would argue that you need to cover quality first and then backfill on quantity yep. uh, is probably a more a strategic way to go about it, but you, you do need both. And I think, yeah, it makes total sense. It's, it's, are you going to use this for other advertising and marketing opportunities? Yeah. And, and honestly, I think there's this like long tail 
photography usage where the people visit your community and they're not photographers and they can't take good pictures on their own. And they are going to reference your website when they're kind of considering two or three communities. If you have better photography than the other two communities they're, they're, they're considering, that's going to leave a better impression in their mind. Their memory is going to be reflective of the nice photography they see after the fact. Mm-hmm. So I, I think there's, there's a million ways to spin it. You know, if I love this community, I'm going to share it with my family. I'm going to share the website with the really nice photos to my family. Like that's a great impression on my family. Maybe they're going to buy it there. I think you have to consider photography as, as a communication tool, not just a box that you have to check because it is. We're, and we're, and we're what are you communicating? Pictures. I think I, I jokingly have called it, there's the crime scene photography. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it is documenting the space as it physically exists but there is zero, there's zero emotion or story. And if anything, negative emotion and story with that type of imagery versus having a professional like yourself or someone who's gone through a smartphone photography course by someone like yourself and applied those, those principles, incredibly different outcomes in terms of, of the value of that imagery to the brand. Yeah, I think so. I hope so. I mean, we're still in business. So I, I think, I think so. I, I still, one of my favorite, I don't do it anymore because I, f- I felt like everyone had seen it, probably should bring it back out. But there was a builder we worked with in Canada once who they were doing crime scene photography mm. and they had a high-end townhome that was struggling to sell. This is back, I think in 2018, 2017, maybe. And they reached out to local, then again, their words, not mine, mommy bloggers in their local market. And they were all, there were photographers who's doing natural life photography, which who isn't? That's the, you know. Everyone these days is at least claiming that they're natural life photographers. Uh, but the difference in, in, in being able to go through that slideshow and giving a talk and say, here's these, these eight images of a townhome that's uh, $600,000. And now here's eight other images of those exact same rooms. And sometimes even showing less. T- talk to me about how can you show less in a photo and communicate more? That seems like a strange thing. Meaning a close-up of a, of a light fixture or an out of focus shot of the stairway looking into the backyard. Now we're going to talk about psychology. Aren't we? <laughs> Are we? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. So I think there's always this notion that, you know, you, you want to make sure you, you make the room has to look really big, right? Because really big means really inviting and really expensive <laughs> and more people can come here for all the parties you're going to throw. But I think when you have like a vignette shot, like you're alluding to, where you're, mm-hmm. you're looking at, you know, the, the nice finishes in a bathroom, or you're looking up the stairwell, or you're, or you're, you're kind of giving glimpses inside of the home. Uh, I like to say photography isn't really stories, it's moments. And you're, you're giving people a glimpse into the moments they're going to be able to experience in that home. Now there, there's the duh moments when you walk in the front door and you see everything, right? That's of course something you should show. I think you you need some of those wide shots, but I think the if you augment those wide shots with with something a little tighter or more focused on one element of a room, we're showing, you know, how different spaces kind of combine, kind of stack up in space. I think that's what sets it apart, and that's what gets people to take a harder look. Because when you're looking at wide shot from the corner, wide shot from the corner, wide shot from the corner, wide shot from the corner on Zillow, and then something hits you that looks totally different and it makes you think and pause, that's good. That's what photography should do. It should make you pause and like take a moment to consider what's happening there. And 
that works well for your metrics too, doesn't it, Kevin? <laughs> you, want, you, want, you want people to pause on the website and look. So I, I think you just need some variation in photography. Yeah, and yeah. I think especially, there's two parts to that. One is the, the initial viewing of those images. The, the pausing and the considering is incredibly important. Uh, similar to a podcast we were talking pre, you know, one of the benefits of the podcast is people are hearing my voice for a prolonged period of time. So they feel like they know me. And as the years have gone by, I've had more of those experiences where people feel like they know me and I've never seen them before in my life. Same thing can happen with imagery. If you give it time, it can trigger other memories, hopefully positive ones that, that influence. But also there's this thing that happens where people come back to the same gallery of images again and again and again. And maybe the first time through the wide shots were what was catching their, their eye, but then the second and third and fourth times back through, they are considering more of, of, of what would it be like to live here? Not does it check the boxes in terms of the things I need? And that's, this is going to expose uh, personal moments of my life, but there, my aunt and uncle live in Austin, Texas and went there many times as a kid. And they always had I don't know, just a couple extra lamps on at night, like all hours of the night. And there was this thing as a kid, one, you're on vacation or, or traveling. So you get to stay up a little bit later, but then I'd be hanging out in a room and their home was about half the size of our home was, but the way that they had those lights, it was just so calming and it was quiet anyway, cause it was late at night. And just the way that the house was lit in the evening, kind of like a hotel lobby light scheme that feeling when I, when I built the house I'm, I'm now in was a huge consideration of, of going through the process of thinking, how can I create, like when I walk by my, the family entry to my house and the light from the fixture is coming through the front door in a way that no other lights need to be on, on that third of the house. Mm-hmm. It makes me happy uh, because I'm recreating that same memory of hanging out at my aunt and uncle's house uh, in Texas. So I think light, like you were talking about, we don't have to necessarily wait around for five hours to get the right shot if we know how to utilize even the lighting that's on hand or, or augment lighting. But talk a little bit about the importance of, obviously, it's a big deal in photography, light. <laughs> yeah, I mean, photography is capturing light, right? Yeah, by definition. I, you brought up a, a couple of things that kind of harken back to like photography is really capturing moments and those moments evoke feelings. And because photography is really just capturing light at the end of the day, like the, the no, way- No, you're you- just documenting- that it's a four bedroom, 2000 square foot. I'm, I'm being sarcastic, but I, it's just like, that is what we're, that's what we keep missing. Mm-hmm. I think as an industry overall. Is, is light? Uh, light, light and how it impacts emotion yeah. and just emotion generally of that other thing that is communicated. Yeah. I think there's, I want to touch on light, but I think the, the industry is missing it because the industry is taking influence from real estate listings as you know, their photography point of reference. Yeah. It's like crowding out the whole conversation of just all. Yeah. Well, it's like, well, this is what everyone else is looking at on Zillow. So this is what we should be doing. Right. And, or like, this is good enough. And I I think that's the wrong stance to take because if you're buying a used car and looking at used car photos online, and then you're comparing that to what Mercedes does in their advertising, they're two very different things. And I think home builders need to start taking a look at what they're doing with their photography and making sure that it's resemblant more of a high-end German car manufacturer than the used car lot down the street. It, it needs to be something that's aspirational and something that evokes those emotions. And, and light is a big part of doing that. Gosh. So lighting, I think, is, is overlooked because 
most of the time, there's not enough room in the budget to hire really good photographers because really good photographers cost a lot of money and because of the time, because of the time and they're kind of temperamental to work with. And they're not sometimes, <laughs> uh, the most professional people, you know, I, I hear a lot of horror stories about photographers, um, just being flaky or not, not being people you can rely on to deliver photos in two weeks or less and, and stuff like that. So I think there's a lot of opportunity for growth in that side of the industry. But mm-hmm. unfortunately, the guys that and the gals that know how to control light the most are are typically in that category. And when I'm when I say controlling light, it means like waiting for the sun not to be blasting through the front window. So you can let the interior lights do their work, right? Or making sure you know the front of the house isn't backlit and you're going to shoot the front of the house at a different time of day. So it's actually properly lit or you're going to wait till twilight. So you can let the landscaping kind of glow. A lot of that's just patience. A lot of that's just knowing how the sun works and which direction it's going to move. And there's tools to help you understand that. A lot of it also is the client knowing what they, what they actually want, you know? And I think some of that, you don't see a lot of great light in photography because there's not a lot of people doing it. So they don't know that it's an option. Yeah, I think that's where the natural light part, or and I'm just kind of transitioning to the course, and I don't want you to give away all your secrets, but I can give them all away. <laughs> I think to me, one of the things I tell someone who's trying to get in photography is just even if it's on on your phone, and I, this might be anti what your course is going to teach, so that's fair game. <laughs> it's just my opinion: is turn off any type of flash anything mm-hmm. because it forces you to deal appropriately with the light that's in the space now. Um, any type of flash, auto flash, anything, unless you're extremely uh, skilled, you're going to likely use wrong and, and incorrectly. And it just yep. helps you, it forces you to deal with with things in, in, in what's right in front of you versus saying, well, I'll just push flash and see what I can get. Yeah, so on, on the smartphone photography front, um, turning off your flash is a big deal. mostly but honestly the phones now if your phone's within a couple years old the flash should be on auto right unless and most times it's going to go off anyway right yeah and most times not go unless you're like in a closet and it's super dark and there's no lights in there which we should ask why do we need that closet correct but on on the flip side sometimes people really want to see dark little closets attached (laughs) to the fourth bedroom upstairs so there's a portion of my course actually on how to kind of manipulate light and control light and identify maybe some problem areas in your scene before you go and take the picture. And some of that's just like lowering blinds. If there's a lot of sun coming through or just identifying mixed lighting, which is different types of bulbs in a room, you know, one might be warm, one might be cool. Turn one of them off. So you only have the warm light, right? Just like some stuff like that, just to Mm -hmm. let people identify some of these problem areas before they go and take the picture. Because Taking a step back, all camera sensors, whether it's a smartphone camera or a professional camera, they can only adjust for really one type of light at a time. And what I mean by that is they they can only they can only account for one temperature of light, right? Mm-hmm. So every, every light source has its own unique temperature. Daylight has like fifty six hundred K. Material lighting is usually like thirty six hundred to forty two hundred K, unless it's a daylight bulb, and then it looks blue and weird compared to everything else. But at the end of the day, your camera can only adjust for one of those. So as a photographer, as professional photographers, um, we make sure that 
you know, we try to make sure that, but there's only one type of light hitting the sensor. Otherwise you're going to get like really yellow regions or really blue regions or really green regions. If you have a fluorescent somewhere in the scene and that stuff just doesn't look good. It doesn't, it doesn't look like what you see. And that also brings you back to the time element, because again, you're talking about that. If you're going to go on a professional shoot and you're going to take the time necessary, you might bring your own bulbs to replace out all the bulbs in there, or you might use certain photography or film specific um, lighting lets you directly dial in those color temperatures and profiles just so that everything is, like you said, you know, that, that, that one temperature and consistency. So that's, that's an awesome example. Talk about the, as much as you want. Now, this course is hopefully going to be launching shortly after this episode airs. How many, how many sessions are there? How long did it take you to make this? How long have you been cooking on this project? So we, we made the course because everyone today, you know, especially if you're online and have a personal brand or your company has a brand, you know, you're kind of expected to speak professionally and write professionally and dress professionally, portray yourself professionally. I believe that should be extended to your photography should look professional, even if it's just from your phone, um, because we are visual communicators. Everything we look at kind of informs us what's going on. And with text messaging being heavily photo-based now and social media being heavily photo-based now and you creating your own content for those platforms, you should know how to take a picture a little bit better to make sure that you're portraying yourself in a way that's maybe true to the project or true to your brand, which is probably put together, dependable, something that's like, that looks pretty good, right? This is all stuff that I think everyone is on board with. That's why we made the course. So we applied everything we know about photography, which is a lot over the last 13 years. Me and my team have kind of compiled the foundational elements of you know how to hold your camera correctly. And we're using the same principles we use on our big cameras mounted on tripods with you know perspective correcting lenses and all this stuff. We're kind of cramming that into how you hold your phone you know, and like how to tilt it and when not to tilt it and when to move back and create distance and how not to zoom and how to, how to make sure that you're framing a picture properly. That's the whole first section of our course. And I'd say that's probably 50% of the material is just framing the shot because that's what photography is. Like, where do you put your camera to get the best shot? The second part is lighting. We just talked about it a little bit. Really the course focuses on problem areas, not how to light your scene because you're not going to have access to you know, professional lighting equipment, you're not going to have hours and hours to shoot this, this place. But I'm hoping you have a little time to maybe turn off some lights or close some blinds or do something to make sure the light's not this mixed mess of awful. People don't necessarily think about light being oppressive. They think mm-hmm. about darkness being oppressive, but, but too much light can certainly be oppressive and, and kill emotion in a, in a, in a scene. Yeah. Um, and it's not to say like your, your phone is very advanced, right? Your, your, the phones today, I don't think this course would have been possible a few years right. ago because the phones today are so good. There's so much processing happening after you hit the capture button. It's combining multiple shots, taking the best exposures from each of those shots, putting it together. It's balancing the white balance, right? It's making sure that the colors are accurate. It's doing all this in like half a second. So that wasn't the case a few years ago. Now it's doing all that on your phone in real time and you can see the results and it's, it's impressive. So some of the lighting things don't really matter as much as they would have a few years ago. Even when I got started and some the camera does the, the smartphone camera does a really good job of adjusting for high contrast situations. So that's cool. 
that that actually makes everything much easier for everyone. You can focus on framing and just get a couple foundational lighting things out of the way. Mm-hmm. And you're basically golden. The third section of the class is how to use the on, on phone editing application to like optimize your photos, to straighten them, to like brighten the shadows. Most people don't know this stuff exists. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the final part is like, hey, if, you know, this is a really shadowy scene. Like, how do you adjust your shadows? How do you adjust your exposure? How how do you make sure this thing you're shooting straight on in a kitchen and it's supposed to look symmetrical, but it's a little tilted. How do you fix that? So it actually looks straight and it doesn't look like you have a bad contractor, right? Like that's, that's the type of stuff we cover. And I don't know if it's all going to be useful to everyone, but I'm pretty sure anyone that like takes the course is going to take something away from it and use that in their photography. Without a doubt. I mean, cause, cause we know forever. I, I think everyone intuitively understands this. If you correct even just 80% of the issues that could be easily corrected when you take the shot, everything else becomes easier. Even if you're going to continue to use a service like Box Brownie or a professional editor after the fact, or no no matter what you do, that's that's going to help you out. And I think the other thing I'm I'm assuming is if you can do some of that run and gun uh, stuff using this type of course, that hopefully frees up your budget as a developer or builder to be able to bring in the professional to create those other type of experiences in photography for your consumers when they, when they come to your website, when they interact with different materials that you create versus yeah. having to spend all your money getting kind of the, the basic stuff taken care of for you because you don't understand how to use the phone that's in your pocket. To its yeah. And uh, honestly, we created it because we heard about all these salespeople taking garbage photos. <laughs> what? And, yeah. That happens. And, and, of course it does. But like, that's, again, it's not their fault. Just no one taught them how to do it properly. Right. Wow. So we're just taking that time to show them like, Hey, these are professional camera skills. Here's how you put them into your phone. And I'm hoping that helps because at the end of the day, that matters. Like when you're sharing the progress of someone's home that they've been waiting on for 12 months, like they want to see that it looks good. So it's up to you to make sure the camera's straight. Right. And, and, like, and there will be those times where you just only have a 20 minute window to get yep. photos taken before someone moves into the house. Yep. And again, better to get something than nothing at all and say, well, we just couldn't find a, I, just this last week, an urgent email from a builder saying, I only have a 30 minute window. All the professionals I've reached out to can't come until, you know, after that window, what else do I do? And it would have been nice to say, apply that stuff from the course that you took from Davies Imaging Group. We'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, you can also go to daviesimaging.com. Uh, and then click on info and smartphone course, get more details there, uh, see examples of uh, Chad and, and his team's work, all sorts of great stuff there. Chad, again, thanks so much for taking the time for creating the resource. I know making a making something like this is never easy or done in an afternoon. Uh, yep. so, so thanks <laughs> for a while. <laughs> thanks for, th- thank you collectively from all of us in, in getting it done. Um, right now you can go to the website and sign up to, to get um, early access as soon as it's released. And then, um, Again, we'll have um, by the time this episode's out, there'll be more information. I'm sure on on launch windows and timing and and all the rest. Yeah. Also, check out uh, builderphoto.com. Awesome. Awesome. That goes straight to the page. Chad, thanks again for for stopping by and 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 doing this for all of us. Yeah. Thanks, Kevin. This is fun. Thank you.